evidence and answers. Many churches and several prominent Christian leaders have been using the Enneagram to help Christians transform their lives. The leaders claim that the Enneagram teachings are rooted in biblical and ancient Christian teachings. But is this true? How do we know if this teaching is in our church? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat and his guest, Don Vino, president of Midwest Christian Outreach Incorporated, discussed the worldview and theology behind the Enneagram. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up Enneagram. You can download it or listen online. Now, let's conclude this informative interview. A million copies out there today being used by Christians across the, across the world, really. We're getting calls from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, the UK. It's pretty much infiltrated the church everywhere. There's over 140 plus titles. And what do they say about the nature of God? Do you want me to go on with that, or do you have a different question to stop me with? Yeah, let's first go with, and we'll get to those. Expand a little bit more on what is the purpose of the Enneagram? You say here in your book, it's for life transformation. What's wrong with that? Well, uh, there's great things about life transformation, but should the life transformation be the Holy Spirit working in you? I mean, Scripture says an interesting thing. He that has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I often have to tell believers that you're going to be transformed. You can do it easy or you can do it hard, but you're going to do it because God is doing it to you, not you yourself. That's number one. Number two, there's so much in the Bible about life and faith and practice, our relationship with God, that we almost don't need anything external from the Bible. If we just spend time in the scriptures, we'll have what we need and to serve one another. But okay, let's say that it could be helpful. What is an Enneagram actually doing? Because it's making spiritual claims. It isn't making psychological claims. The spiritual claims are this. One, you're not a sinner. I think that's a problem. When you do your test and find out what number you are, that number is not what type of person you are. In fact, Richard Rohr, Suzanne Stabile, Christopher Wirtz, all say this is not about what kind of a person you are. This is about your path to God. Why do you need a path to God? Because you have never been separated from God. You're not a sinner. You have always been with God. You have created a false self that thinks you're separated from God. And the purpose of the Enneagram, the spiritual purpose, is to help you divest yourself of your false beliefs about yourself and reclaim and reconnect with the God that you have always been with. That's pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of our former new agers are out there sitting there. Well, that's, that's kind of a new age teaching. Uh, those familiar with Gnosticism go, well, that sounds kind of Gnostic there. It is Gnostic. That's exactly what it is. In fact, the God of the Enneagram is panentheism. Now, panentheism is a big word people might get confused about. It basically means this, that God is bigger than the cosmos, but the cosmos is his body. In fact, Richard Rohr says the 
first incarnation of the Christ is the cosmos. This is the incarnation of God, and then Jesus, who was born, you know, 2,000 years ago, became the Christ. He wasn't the Christ. He became the Christ by virtue of being part of the creation. And so he's not really any more God than you and I are God. Again, that's very, very problematic. Yes, you know, and uh, explain to us a little more about the nine points of the Enneagram. I believe that's describing the nine different types or personality types, I guess, and everyone falls into one of those nine, and that's the starting point. Well, that's a starting point. You take the test, but it isn't to tell it to describe to you what kind of a person you are, other than to help you understand which path you personally have to take to get back to the realization that you're not a sinner. So you will take the test, let's say, and you're a one, or I'll take the test, and I might be a three or a five or a seven. Well, that is my path back to God. And if I follow that path faithfully, then I will device myself of these ideas, these false ideas that I'm a sinner. And I will eventually embrace the realization that I am truly with God, and I didn't have to have my sin atoned for in any way. So that's what it is. Now, there has been, by the way, a psychometric test performed on the Enneagram to see if it's a valid psychological test. And even there, it fails. In fact, the uh, individual, Jay Medinwald, who did the test, concluded that there's some elements that are okay. There's some elements that are definitely not okay. Overall, it is so deficient that he wouldn't recommend it to anybody for a psychological test because it would do more harm than good mm-hmm. in trying to use it for that. Yes. Now, you say the method of the Enneagram is built on, you know, false ideology here. And and you stated it begins with a false understanding of God, uh, panentheism. Expand on that a little bit. You know, what is it and what is their understanding of God? Who is he or what is he? Okay. I'll try to make this sort of layman friendly because you and I would understand panentheism. The average person is going to go out there and go, I don't really understand. As a pan, maybe I can cook eggs in a pan or something like that, right? <laughs> if we think of it this way, and this is not original with me, Dr. Peter Jones developed this, and I think it's a really good way to understand it. We only have two ways of understanding God. We'll call it oneism and twoism. So panentheism would fall under oneism. What does that mean? It means that God is in and through and part of everything. There is no difference between God and the creation. So a pantheist, like a Hindu or a Buddhist, if they believe in God, would view that everything is God, everything is divine. A panentheist would believe that God is in and through everything, but he's bigger than the cosmos and the creation. So that is oneism, God and the creation, there's no difference between them. Twoism is that God is separate from the creation. He created all things by himself, and he interacts with creation, but he himself is not part of the creation, right? So that's the difference. Oneism, everything is God, or some variation on that. Twoism, creation and God are separate. They're two different things. Yes, okay. And then secondly, based on that particular worldview, they come to a different understanding of human nature. So tell us about the theology of human nature. You went over that and how that compares with the biblical teaching of human nature. Well, 
let's start with the biblical teaching and then we can compare it. The biblical teaching is fairly simple, that we are sinners by nature and by choice, separated from God. We are not one with God. We are separate from God. God created all things, including humans. Humans sinned by rebelling against him, and we are separated from him. Jesus died. He came. He incarnated. God incarnated in human form, fully God and fully human. He died, which we call it the penal substitution. He paid for our sin that we might have peace for it with God. We might have forgiveness from God if we believe on his name. So ours is a sin problem. For the Enneagram, it's not a sin problem. It's an identity problem. We think we're sinners. We have lost our identity. We need to come back to the realization that we're not sinners but have created a false self, and so we can get rid of our false identity to become fully embraced with and by God again. Yes, and this then leads to a different gospel. Correct. It's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Tell us about the gospel of the Enneagram and that, how it compares with that of the Bible. Well, the gospel of the Enneagram is that you're not a sinner. So all is good. You're just confused. You just have created a false identity. The gospel of the Bible is that you are a sinner. God is so holy that you can never measure up. In fact, the Pharisees made a kind of a mistake because they thought that they could live a performance life in such a way that God would accept them. And so they wouldn't commit adultery, maybe. But then Jesus says, no, you got, a, you got it wrong here. In Matthew 5, he says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, they heard that from whom? Moses, who got it from God. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, you have committed the act. So he didn't raise the standard as some want to think. He said, this is a standard that you're not meeting. Sin is not simply what you do. It is what you ruminate on. It is what you think about. It is what you pursue in your mind as well as your physical body. With the Enneagram, none of that's true. There is no need for salvation. Jesus did not die for your sins. The penal substitution, according to Richard Rohr, who's the architect of Enneagram theology, according to Richard Rohr, the idea of penal substitution was invented by Augustine in the 5th century, but it's not a biblical idea according to him. Yeah, so then who is the Jesus that is taught by those who promote the Enneagram? Well, he is someone who at the resurrection, became Christed, and you and I can achieve the same thing. Mm. Once we come, realize that we are connected with God, we too can become Christed. Yeah, so we and Christ are actually essentially of the same nature. And boy, that sounds, yeah, that's identical to New Age or Gnostic theology that's been taught for many years. Right, it absolutely is. Well, you know, one of the ways in which we transform our thinking and understanding, according to Richard Rohr here, that's R-O-H-R. He talks a lot about the practice of contemplative prayer. Well, that sounds like a Christian practice, but how is he using contemplative prayer, and how is that different from biblical prayer? That's a great question, and it's one Marsh and I talk about with a lot of people a lot of time. Biblical contemplation is 
important. That is something we find the biblical heroes of the faith doing, for example. Prayer is something that is taught in the Bible. We see it happening, so it is a biblical thing. What is the difference, though, between biblical prayer and contemplation and contemplative prayer? Contemplative prayer is the process of emptying your mind and waiting for God to fill it. So you are focused on nothing until God eventually gives you something. Biblical contemplation is this. I meditate, David says, on thy word day and night. So you're filling your mind in contemplation with the word of God. You are contemplating on the things of God. God becomes central in your thinking, not you. So contemplative prayer is making you the center of the story, and God is a secondary actor in your story. Biblical prayer is God is the central character of the story, and you get to play the part of a, of a supporting actor. Yeah, you know, contemplative prayer is what we see a lot in the Eastern religions, right. you know, emptying the mind. But often there's a danger there because you're waiting for God to speak to you, or often people open themselves up to other entities to come and speak to them. Is there a danger in that in contemplative prayer? There's absolutely a danger in that with contemplative prayer. I mean, let's think about even the stories of demonic possession. Jesus talked about a guy who was demonically possessed and that uh, the demon was cast out, but then the individual did really nothing after that, and so the demon returned and found a place cleaned and swept, it says, mm -hmm. and returned with seven demons more evil than himself. So if you empty your mind, now I'm not saying Christians can become demonically possessed. I don't think they can. But that doesn't mean they can't be demonically oppressed and guided. And so if you empty your mind and wait for something to fill it up, spirit beings will fill it up. They don't have a problem with that. And they will take you away from God, which we see this happening a lot. If you start looking at statistics of the church today, 49% of evangelical pastors do not have a biblical worldview. Yes. That's tragic. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a biblical worldview and you're involved with church, what are you learning? What you're learning largely is that you are the most important part of God's creation. You're the central story of the Bible, and God is a supporting actor in your life story. That is heretical. Yeah, and I'm also noticing, you know, when people pray and they say, God, speak to me, often what comes into their mind is, is their thoughts or their desires, where we are to be focusing and filling our minds with the Word of God in our prayer, and then saying, God, how do I apply this? Or give me insight and understanding your Word. And instead, I see a lot of Christians saying, God, speak to me. And then they'll come to me and say, God told me this. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not sure. Is there a biblical principle there? It seems to go against what Jesus or biblical teaching here. Uh, is, are you seeing that a lot as well? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes when, I get, when I'm tired and I'm irritable, somebody will tell me that, and I'll ask them, what voice did he sound like? Did he sound like, uh, I don't know, George <laughs> Burns and Old God? Or, I mean, what, or does he sound like your voice? Or... But I do see that, and I have to go back and ask some fundamental questions. I'm not saying that God may not be leading you, 
because I do believe God leads us. Mm-hmm. But we always have to hold that loosely because we can also deceive ourselves into mm-hmm. thinking God is leading us. So we have to be a little careful with that. I don't want God to break my fingers in the process of me thinking he's told me to do something that in fact he did not do. So let's examine that. Is what you think God is communicating spoken of in Scripture, or does it conflict with Scripture? Sometimes it's a choice. Maybe someone's saying, well, who should I marry? I I get that a lot. Well, does God have a specific spouse for you in mind that that he has to bring to you somehow? Maybe, but very often I think it's more like this. When my children were young, we had a pretty large yard, and we had a lot of things they could do in the yard. We had a sandbox, a swing set, slide. We had a long drive where they could ride their bikes. There's plenty of things they could do. And sometimes my daughter would come in and she'd say, Dad, I'm bored. What should I do? And i go, well, I don't know. you got a lot of choices out there. You can go out and play in the sandbox or swing set, ride your bike. Just pick one and go ahead and do it. But my will was this. Do not leave the yard. So I had a specific will. Do not leave the yard. Anything within that will you can do. So if someone is praying and they feel like God is leading them to marry somebody, maybe he is. Would it be glorifying to him or not? That's the question. Mm. Should I take this job or that job? Well, would you glorify God in this job or that job? Yes. Well, then take either one. What do you want to do? God gives us great gifts. When you say to me, God told me to do X and it is Extra biblical, we got to be really careful because now you're claiming prophecy, and either it's true or it's false. That's different than leadings. Yeah, that's well said. And as you stated, many of the founders of this Enneagram movement indeed had connections with or believe they communicated with some kind of entity or an avatar. Tell us about that. Well, in, in the case of Oscar Chazo, they had names. There were two of them. One was called the Green Katub, which is more uh, Sufi Islam, and the other was Metatron, which comes out of Jewish mysticism. So two angelic beings. I would call them demonic. I wouldn't call them from God. In the case of Oscar of uh, Claudio Naranjo, he got it through automatic writing. Now, automatic writing is a new age practice where a spirit takes control of your hand and moves your hand as you hold a pen or pencil or some writing utensil. It's kind of like a sophisticated Ouija board. Instead of going one letter at a time, the being moves your hand with a writing utensil to write out everything. And through automatic writing, he received all of the enneotypes. And we have that actually on video. It's on the internet. You can watch him say that. Wow. Well, you gave us a brief history of how this teaching got into the church. For the average Christian out there, how would he be signaled if it was in his church? What are some things that he could, that he may uh, see if it's actually in his church? Well, if he pays attention to what people are saying, very often he'll hear something like this in conversation. I'm a two. Mm. As soon as you hear that, you know, okay, we have the Enneagram in here. Mm. So that's other times it's more overt. You'll your pastor will get up and do a nine week series on the Enneagram. So it sounds like it's a Christian tool. We have churches using it for membership. You have to go through the Enneagram testing and learning about the Enneagram to become a church member. We have it for marriage counseling. And so it's being used in all sorts of ways in all sorts of churches. But the easiest is 
when you run into somebody and they start talking about this new personality test that they've learned or they introduce themselves and and you hear in conversation that they're a seven or they're a nine or they're a three now you know they're involved with the enneagram the way to approach it is going to be to get educated because you're going to want to ask them questions what's attractive about the enneagram because you want to know what is it that got them involved it's the same thing as if you were a buddhist i would ask you what is it about buddhism that's attractive to you and you'll tell me and then i can build on that sometimes if they're really invested because this is a question of investment if you're really invested and someone just kind of assaults you on how heretical this is which it is you may recoil at that because you feel like they're not just attacking this new idea that you've come upon to discover yourself more a spiritual tool that you have been told about you feel like they are attacking your intelligence and that's a hard thing to swallow so sometimes it's easier to talk about another group over there what other groups are teaching falsely about who you are so might talk about scientology for example you know scientology says that uh, we were actually born on other planets and then an evil scientist packed us all up into these big spaceships and brought us to the planet earth chained us to volcanoes and then blew them up and then we are reincarnated and the reason we have problems in life is because we have kept problems from previous lives are embedded in our system and so we need to go to scientology where we are audited with special devices that can figure out what our weak points are what our strengths are and then when they come across a weak point they can help us get rid of that weak point to overcome it to eventually come to the place where we are no longer trapped in all of those cycles from previous lives except now that we've done this and it's cost us a quarter of a million dollars to get to that point <laughs> We actually are in a worse shape than we were before because guess what? We have something called body thetans, which is somebody else's spirit that's connected to our spirit. Now we have to get rid of their stuff. Now, is that something you would sign on to? As we talk about that, then we can kind of talk about and compare. Isn't this kind of like the Enneagram? You think you're a sinner, but you're really not a sinner. And so your object is to find which path you have there's nine paths to god but if there's nine paths to god wouldn't that mean jesus is wrong that so he is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by him so do we believe jesus or do we believe the enneagram or do we believe scientology yeah well that's well stated there you've been listening to our interview with don vino he is the president and founder of midwest christian outreach inc we've been talking about the enneagram and actually he's got a great book he and his wife here, uh, Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret that uh, you can get on his website. It's a great and informative book on this topic. And Don, if people want more information, not only on the Enneagram, but cults, the occult, world religions, and how to successfully be an effective witness for Christ on there and, and get in contact with you, where can they get more information? Well, let's make it easy. If they just go to our website, they can access everything we do from there. It's midwestoutreach.org. Midwestoutreach.org. From there, you can sign up for our weekly e-letter. It goes out every Thursday called The Crux. You can go to our, our YouTube channel. In fact, if you go to our YouTube channel from there, 
there is a, if you go down, there's a playlist of the 10 talks on the Enneagram. I would highly recommend those. Of course, they can order a book from there and connect with us on Facebook. Email us from there. So everything goes from midwestoutreach.org. That makes it really simple. That's great. You've been listening to our interview with Don Vineau, president of Midwest Christian Outreach. He's well-experienced in the area of witnessing to those in the cults, occult, and non-Christian religions. So great resource for you there. So Don, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website, That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>